0: Another special thanks on this episode to Chris Priest from ChrisPriestMusic.com. Now, welcome to the award winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from MarkFiore.com, Countdown, Real Time with Bill Maher, Le Show, The Daily Show, The Jimmy Dore Show, The Young Turks, The Onion Radio News, and On the Media with a bonus video clip for our iPhone app users from The Daily Show.
1: Me, Knuckles. They
2: call him Knuckles.
1: Me back for good. He's good at beating. Beating the prisoners, but
2: they sometimes die.
1: Me thought I out of job when Barack Obama turned president. He say tickle fuzzy hug bad. I pack my bag when he say close Guantanamo. But now, still open. Me happy. (laughs) Even better now is Bagram in Afghanistan. More secret. More tickle fuzzy hug. (laughs) We bring prisoners here from all over world because Bagram is magic place. Let's us do things to prisoners without stupid evidence, charges, judges, and justice. Knuckles can lock up forever. My new boss, Barack Obama, protects magic secret kingdom of Bagram, and likes civil liberties. He never knew liberty could be so fun. My new boss also turning more Bush than Bush. He okayed assass- assassin- assassin- killing of U.S. citizen. Knuckles like. <laughs> <laughs> Knuckles always hoped things would work out good, and now me have president me can believe in.
2: Knuckles,
1: me, Knuckles.
2: They call him Knuckles.
1: Bashing heads.
2: He's good at beating for
1: change.
2: Beating the prisoners, but they sometimes die.
3: real news in our next story is that it's no longer news. It used to be news, but now even progressive blogs pay little attention as I utter a phrase that would have drawn a national gasp of shock and horror just ten years ago. In our third story today, former President Bush last night confessed to committing a war crime. Mr. Bush, speaking before a mostly friendly audience of 2300 in Grand Rapids, no cameras, no recording devices. No record, just witness accounts, reportedly admitting not only, quote, yeah, we waterboarded colleague Sheikh Mohammed, but also asserting, quote, I'd do it again to save lives. What makes this latest confession so interesting is Mr. Bush's subconscious hint that he knows it was useless the first time. I'd do it again, he said, to save lives. If saving lives were a part of it the first time, why add that phrase instead of just saying, I'd do it again? Despite the claims of torture instigator Dick Cheney, the waterboarding of Khalid Sheikh Mohammed has not been demonstrated to have saved a single life, not in those two CIA memos that Cheney swore would prove him right if only they were declassified, until the Obama administration called his bluff and released the memos, which identified not a single life saved, nor a single incident only waterboarding could reveal. Waterboarding did not make Mohammed give up Jose Padilla. He was given up by Abu Zubaydah during traditional legal interrogation before waterboarding even began. And the Heathrow Airport plot given up along with details about a Southeast Asia terror group, the CIA Inspector General believes, because Khalid Sheikh Mohammed thought the CIA already knew about them, which is a classic legal interrogation trick. The best claim, of course, that waterboarding Mohammed gave investigators key information to break up a plot to blow up the library tower in L.A., a plot that was broken up in 2002, a year before Khalid Sheikh Mohammed was captured. What do we know that we got from waterboarding? Lies. Khalid Sheikh Mohammed told the military that he lied to end the torture. 183 separate waterboardings. One lie he told was where to find Osama bin Laden. How do we know he was lying? No bin Laden, remember? The Bush administration actually got its waterboarding techniques from the study of techniques the Communist Chinese used during the Korean War to make prisoners lie for propaganda purposes. And what lie did Bush and Cheney want to hear? Ibn Sheikh Alibi was captured in 2001. Subjected to enhanced interrogation techniques, he gave up the link between Iraq and al-Qaeda. Well, made it up, actually. By the time we learned that, Mr. Bush had already used Alibi's tortured lie to justify invading Iraq. Mr. Bush's decision to invade Iraq, only one of many ways in which his decision to waterboard, to torture, has actually clearly cost more American lives than we can calculate. Not just because if he had let experienced professional interrogators do the work, they might have actually gotten some additional intelligence, but also because at least half of our casualties in Iraq were at the hands of foreigners motivated to fight by American torture. This the estimate of an actual U.S. interrogator in Iraq. This interrogator who used real interrogation to help get al-Zaqawi, objected to the torture methods, but Mr. Bush already should have known waterboarding was wrong. Wrong when Americans were court-martialed for doing it during the Spanish-American War and during the Vietnam War. Wrong when Americans prosecuted Japanese soldiers for doing it to Americans during World War II. Wrong when the British and Americans refused to use any form of torture against the Germans in World War II. Wrong when a sheriff and three deputies went to prison for it in the 1980s in Texas. Mr. Bush last night had other things to say. His greatest disappointment, not relying on torture to send U.S. troops to die under false pretenses, not ignoring the threat of Al-Qaeda, not failing to prevent 9-11 or failing to fulfill his promise to avenge the dead of 9-11, no, he said the biggest disappointment of his presidency was failing to privatize Social Security. It may yet rank among the biggest disappointments of the Obama presidency that in the 21st century, a man can confess in public, yeah, we waterboarded, I'd do it again without fear of arrest or prosecution or justice.
4: One one last question. Uh, George Bush was in the news. I thought I was done with George. I've I've sort of forgotten, I must say, about George Bush. It's like someone who molested me... (laughs) It out. But every once in a while... Those are, the, those are the priests. Every once in a while it comes back. And he was in the news this week because he he said, as I think Cheney did this a few months ago, said that he would do it all over again and waterboard Khalid Sheikh Mohammed if it would save lives. Now, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, as opposed to a lot of the people they threw in Gitmo, is a true terrorist mastermind of... Uh, so, I mean, you have to put that into the equation. We're not waterboarding just anybody. But, but what do you, what do you think? Of? Well,
5: I mean, well,
6: but, well, first of all, what we know is that
4: uh, uh, it doesn't actually get you
6: good information, uh, number one. Number two, I like it when presidents leave the White House and go out and become champions of human rights, like Clinton yeah. or Carter. Not when they become champions of human rights abuses. You know, that doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense to me that you got a president uh, you know... Arguably the worst president in the American history. Now he wants to be the worst ex-president in American history. None of those things make sense to me. You know, I think we're
7: better than that as a country. But it's significant because he has publicly confessed to a war crime. Legally, a war crime. There's no, there's no question about whether waterboarding is a war crime. It's torture. So an, an American president. And what gets me about it is not that he said I wrestled with this question, it was really it. hard and I made this terrible decision. Right. I, and I had to it's it's the glibness. Right. It is the sheer what what Cheney called a no-brainer. Yes. Someone who thinks that torturing someone is a no-brainer is a monster. What's that?
4: You know, we don't want to look back. We want to look forward. We don't want to point fingers. We don't want to be, play the blame game. But President, former President George W. Bush this week defended his administration's use of waterboarding. Sure, we waterboarded colleague Sheikh Mohammed, he reportedly said. And we'd do it again to save lives. He was speaking to the Economic Club of Grand, Mac- Grand Rapids, Michigan. According to the uh, Associated Press, there was no recording of the uh, appearance. I guess that was just because no reporter wanted to. Couldn't have been any strictures applied to the free press by a former president. Um, But uh, waterboarding would do it again if it would save lives. So trying to to put the best face on it. And uh, here's
6: a little help.
2: Well, it may not be legal, but it sure as heck makes me safer. And it may not yield useful intel At least that's what they say But it's a pleasure so rare Seeing captains go air Let's go waterboarding USA Let's go See you. You can't get off if you want to And it's really hard work But for us it feels much more like play If the tables were turned We'd feel really burned But let's go on water-
8: Uh, Earlier tonight, President Barack Obama unveiled his plans for the Gulf of Mexico and America's future energy needs. I was surprised watching the speech tonight. When when both solutions turned out to be cars that run on oil-soaked pelicans. Yes. He introduced... Yes. It's actually the new 2010 Ford Sadness. (laughs) Of Course, uh, the Gulf crisis was an unforeseen catastrophe. Barack Obama's real mission when running for president was to restore some of America's moral high standing that we had lost in the turmoil of the war on terror.
9: Guantanamo, that's easy. Close down Guantanamo, restore habeas corpus, say no to renditions, no to wireless wiretaps.
8: Um, No, 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 please. I'm not done enjoying your applause yet. (laughs) He was steadfast in his commitment to changing the culture of this very nation.
9: Part of my job as the next president is to break the fever of fear that has been exploited by this administration. That... You know, we're
8: told... You're spoiling me. Please, please. Save a little bit for the next thing I have planned to say. I, I hope you people brought gloves. <laughs> Obama's reign would bring back the rule of law if the Supreme Court said even terrorists at Guantanamo Bay deserve their day in court through the writ of habeas corpus, as they did in the Hamden case, the boomerdee. Barack Obama would honor that, not try and pull the old Bush flim flammery.
0: The Bush administration decided that instead of bringing detainees to Guantanamo, they'd take them somewhere else, another location outside the jurisdiction of a court, Bagram Airfield in Afghanistan.
10: <laughs>
0: hey, 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 Supreme Court,
8: where's, where's Boumadine? Where's Hamden? Is he under this nut? No. How about this one? Where is he? Wait, wait, what's that? Oh, oh, what's behind Kennedy's ear? <laughs> I don't know. Normally you have three of these bad boys.
2: Yeah, that's voice.
8: That's voice. Obama's a constitutional scholar whose entire campaign was based on change and doing the exact opposite of his predecessor to prove that the war on terror could be prosecuted without compromising our American values, or as he himself put it, by
9: giving suspects a chance Even one chance to challenge the terms of their detention in court. We could solve this problem without harming our efforts in the war on terror one bit. Just even one chance. So as the courts re-examine
8: our ability to keep people indefinitely at Bagram, I imagine I can probably just put this silly shell game away forever. Today, President Obama
0: scored a victory to keep those detainees locked up indefinitely without even getting one chance to prove their innocence in court.
8: (laughs) I've taken, I've taken your prisoner. And I'm going to put a shell here, Michelle and I have talked about what we were gonna do with the prisoner. Gonna take this shell, put it on top of this one. Move the others around. Hey, hey, hey. That's, uh, that's, uh, that's my Barack Obama impression where I just take uh, my normal voice and just slow it the f- down. Well, that's habeas corpus. That's only habeas corpus. That's the only thing that was thrown out there, one small, tiny, fundamental tenet of law. He also said he was gonna end rendition. Yes, rendition. Rendition.
10: We also learned the Obama administration will continue the Bush policy of extraordinary rendition, the practice of sending terrorist suspects to prison, prisons in third-party countries for interrogation.
9: Mr.
8: President, does
9: does this guy know what you're doing? We are going to lead by example by maintaining the highest standards of civil liberties and human rights. No more ignoring the law when it is inconvenient. That is not who we are. We will again set an example for the world that the law is not subject to the whims of stubborn rulers and that justice is not arbitrary.
8: What happened to Barry from the block? have we been fooled by the Barack's that you got your campaign was premised on reigning in presidential power what happened
9: I, Barack Hussein Obama do solemnly swear oh
8: I see you used to have a little now you have a lot back in the old neighborhood you used to say stuff like this
9: whether it was the run-up to the Iraq War or the revelation of secret programs, Americans often felt like part of the story had been unnecessarily withheld from them.
8: And now you have your own secret military programs that go beyond even what Bush was doing. You didn't think we'd find out? <laughs> you, you, you stumble in late at night? You stumble in late at night? We're not blind. You stumble in late at night, reeking of power. Little traces of classified on your collar. (laughs) You're invoking state secrets to quash suits against the government. You're saying we might not need to read Miranda rights to American citizens. You're arresting whistleblowers who expose government waste. You're lucky Barack Obama is not all over your (laughs) I know a little bit about
9: whistleblowing and making sure that those folks get protection.
8: So by protection, did you mean sunblock? (laughs) Condoms, because arresting them doesn't seem like
2: protection.
8: Hey, why even bother arresting people at
3: all? Next thing you know, you'll be sitting in the White House stroking a cat, having people killed at whim. The White House has authorized U.S. counterterrorism oper- operatives to kill Anwar al-Awlaki, Muslim cleric and American citizen born in Las Cruces, New Mexico in 1971, even if he is found far away from any combat zone.
1: Wow. <laughs>
8: I mean, he's a bad guy, runs an al-Qaeda website from Yemen. But you complained when Bush just wanted to read Americans' emails without a warrant. Wait a second. All that power that you didn't like when someone else had it, you decided to keep it. Oh, my God, you're Frodo. You're
2: Frodo! (laughs)
8: Mr. President, do you know what you need to do? Throw the ring into the fires of Mount Doom and destroy it. I know, I know, you think you can be trusted with the power because you're not a bad person. You're just being stalked by a strange and twisted creature who wants to take the
2: precious away from you.
11: Well, it seems like everybody's talking about Miranda, and it's because of terrorism. Everybody's so afraid of terrorism, people want to get rid of the Miranda warning. What is off. the Miranda warning? It's that thing you've heard on every cop show.
4: You have the right to remain silent. If you give up the right to remain silent, anything you say can, and will be used against you in a court of law. You have the right to speak with an attorney and to have the attorney present during questioning. If you so desire and cannot afford one, an attorney will be appointed for you without charge before questioning. Now, do you understand these rights I've explained to you?
5: Yeah. What's he doing? We advise all suspects of their rights before any questioning. Oh, that's a important thing. Thanks. Yes, sir, that's right.
11: They're just basically your constitutional rights that a policeman must tell you about before he questions you if you're in custody. Well, guess what? A lot of people have been talking about getting rid of them. And when I say a lot of people... I mean a lot of people.
12: And is reading Miranda rights to terrorist any way to fight a war?
4: Some of us have been so upset about it that they uh, Im- immunized him with the Miranda rule. I think you don't give him Miranda
12: rights. Is it any way to fight a war to read Miranda rights? You do not You do not go in and interrupt him
4: with Miranda warnings. We don't have to give Miranda warnings up front. Mirandizing a terrorist like abdul Matallab is absolutely ridiculous.
3: I don't know what purpose it, there was in Mirandizing him. The administration seems to have lost sight of this essential requirement for national security out of a preoccupation, a preoccupation with reading the Christmas Day bomber his Miranda rights.
10: He should not have been given his Miranda warnings. This should not have been a Mirandaized situation. You don't Mirandize.
11: And thanks to the Chris Matthews show for putting that together. I mean, that's a lot of people that want to get rid of your rights. It's an argument made by dumb people. Um, in fact, I'll give you the king of the dumb people to make the
4: argument for you right now. So you don't, we don't have the luxury of verandizing somebody that we know is involved in a terrorist attack, do we?
11: The answer is yes, and that's Sean Hannity making the case. Making the case that, you know, if you get scared enough that the Constitution doesn't really need to apply. So I was watching MSNBC the other day, and it was, you know, one of those morning shows that you don't know who the host is. And they had, uh, but they still like to have people on debating. And so here's a real, real dummy. Her name is Karen DeSoto. She's a lawyer, but she's no dumber than the chairman of the Senate Homeland Security Committee. You know, Joe Lieberman. They both want to stop using Miranda, you know, the Constitution, when dealing with terror suspects even if they're citizens. So what they're basically saying is the government gets to decide who has rights and who doesn't, even before a trial. But there's a big problem with that. And thank God there was somebody smart on the TV set to explain this to her. The problem to taking away citizens' rights before trial just might
3: be, might be... Why not? Might be the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. The Supreme Court just a few years ago, by a 7-2 to vote, strongly affirmed the Miranda's decision. Even some of the conservative justices say it's part of our national fabric. It's what makes us American. And if we start letting the terrorists chip away at our
4: Constitution, at the way that we, our legal system works then really they're winning
11: well there you go there's a grown-up on tv willing to explain how the constitution and being an american you know this idea that we call the great experiment that is america how it all works and we don't throw that stuff away just because there's terrorism in fact he's making the point that uh, if we do throw those things away that's exactly what the terrorists want to do But we're better than that, right, Karen DeSoto? Right? We're Americans. We value things like rights and liberty. And we believe in the Constitution above
10: all else. Well, that's a great point. However, when um, small children and your mom or your sister gets blown up at Starbucks in the morning, I'm sure that you would probably have a little bit different of a spin on that.
11: And I say thank you, Karen DeSoto, for reminding us that the Constitution kills little girls. Sure, we'd all like to have rights for everybody in a perfect world where everybody gets their rights protected by the Constitution. Sounds real groovy, you big hippie. And then your mother ends up dead in a Starbucks because a liberal's love of the Constitution. Folks, this is an argument that a grown-up person who went to law school is making on television without embarrassment. Oh, yeah, so the government, without a trial, gets to decide which citizens have rights and which citizens don't. What could possibly go wrong? And I really wish you guys could see the smug smile this lady has on her face when making her, well, I guess you'd call it her point. Although I'm pretty sure she's actually making the point of the terrorists. You know, the point they're trying to make. And what's that point? Well, that point is that we don't really believe in the principles of our own constitution. Well, we believe in them when it's convenient. A little violence and, yeah, we show our true colors to the world, chuck our constitution, and turn into a bunch of fascists ourselves. And she's smiling. As if to say, hey, guy who's quoting legal precedent... You're cute. Now run along. This woman is a lawyer and former defense attorney who's basically saying, yeah, you know, it's really just faster to beat the confession out of a guy. Because laws, you know, our laws are supposed to restrain our greedy and violent instincts, no matter how natural they might be, in order to preserve the fabric of society and progress towards the more civilized and principled world we all envision for ourselves. Because our value for individual rights as defined by the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence is so important to us, we fought a couple of wars about it. You know, I don't know who this lady is, but I'd like to see her take that alpha girl smile down to the Supreme Court so that John Paul Stevens' last act in service to our country could be to smack the sass right out of this little dunce.
2: We've been on the run, driving in the sun, picking up a number one. California, here we come,
12: right back where we started from.
0: I love hearing from listeners who write in to tell me about how this show positively impacts their lives. It reinforces the idea that what I'm doing really may be making a little bit of a difference. What I love even more is that it's the support of the listeners themselves which makes this show possible. If you appreciate the service this show provides, you can make individual donations or become a member and donate $5 a month, or even save a couple of bucks by paying for a year in advance. Member support gives me the time it takes to produce 10 shows per month, and in return, members receive access to bonus audio and video content through members-only raw feeds. For details or to sign up, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Thanks so much for your support
7: show
6: California here we come. right back where we started from uh, Cy Hirsch uh, was at a convention in Europe uh, we covered this story earlier because he had said that Obama's being dominated by the military and that we will be staying in Afghanistan, Iraq etc a lot longer than people imagine Now he had said that earlier in the week and of course as always critics of Cy Hirsch said oh, what a Cy Hirsch now except every major, story that was broken during the Bush administration, including Abu Ghraib. But what does Cy Hirsch know we're not gonna stay in Iraq longer? And guess what happened today? We're staying in Iraq longer. Just announced we're gonna stay an extra month, and that's just the beginning. So already he's been proven right about things he said at that convention. Now there's a new video of another thing he said at the convention, uh which is also shocking people. Uh but the guy hasn't been wrong very many times before. Now he's gonna talk about uh battlefield executions. That's tough. Let's watch.
12: The purpose of my stories was to take it out of the field into the white house and where it uh, you know it's not that the president or the secretary of defense mr rumsfeld or, or bush or cheney it's not that they knew what happened in Abu Ghraib. it's that they had allowed this kind of activity to happen and i'll tell you right now one of the great tragedies of my country is that mr obama is looking the other way because I, equally horrible things are happening to prisoners, I mean, to those we capture in Afghanistan, they're being they're being executed in the battlefield. Uh, it's unbelievable stuff going on there that doesn't get necessarily get reported, and um, uh, things don't change. What they've done in the field.
6: So, uh, that is very very tough uh, news, and saying uh, and it's very interesting because they're saying, look, if they're Taliban, they can keep them, right? And they say, all right, they're Taliban. We got the right guys, and we bring them to prison, right? If they're not Taliban, in other words, we didn't get the right guys, then they get executed. How does that make sense? Now, that could be for a great number of reasons. It could be that no, you, they are bad guys, but they're not with the Taliban, or they were the enemies of the guys who turned them in. They were the enemies of the Afghan forces, or uh, they, should, they wanted to cover up a guy that they detained wrongly, etc. But as you heard from Sy Hirsch, five or six different sources saying we hand the guys off you know they walk a couple of feet down and boom executed and we're looking the other way look this is the kind of stuff again they, they didn't believe uh when uh there was a reporter uh British reporter that reported hey you know what we had gone in and uh, accidentally killed uh pr- women and children in in a certain excursion that we did including pregnant women and everybody the Pentagon said oh kick this guy out he's never going to get access again it's a total lie no oh, was the insurgents who had killed them and then, of course, it turned out he was absolutely right, and it was us that killed him. And then we dug the, body, the bullets out of not only the walls but out of the bodies. Okay, so am I predisposed to believing Cy Hirsch, who has been right on all these other issues, who was right during this convention earlier in the week, in the video we showed earlier in the week, and given what we've heard about what's happening in Afghanistan, and he's got five or six sources? Yeah, I believe him, and. See that's why I don't want to stay in Afghanistan any longer. I was originally in favor of staying in Afghanistan. But it was proven to me by people who work in Afghanistan for us that hey, you know what? It is counterproductive. We had another memo about that from another US diplomat this week saying our counter insurgency is not working. In fact, it's counterproductive. So what are we doing there? Killing people and t- digging bullets out of their bodies, and now these battlefield executions? Because people will say, "Hey, look, war is hell." I know. So can we stop them? You know, like conservatives will say that as if like, oh, war is hell. That's it. We had to kill everybody. Uh, that's it. No, but that's not it. We do have another choice—that we don't continue these nonsensical wars that aren't helping us. I mean, look, we've been in Afghanistan for nine brutal years. When are we going to declare mission accomplished? When is that going to happen? How is it going to happen? What the hell is our mission? Al Qaeda leadership is not in Afghanistan. That's why we went in the first place. Now our mission is to help Karzai set up a slightly more stable government. This kind of wishy-washy mission was the reason we were against the Iraq war in the first place. Not in the first place the Iraq war was a disaster in the first place, but uh, against staying in Iraq longer and longer based on this vague idea of stability and helping our local uh, allies in the region. So, look, under the here's my all underlying problem. If we use that rationale, we will be there forever. We've been in Afghanistan for 9 years, we've been in Iraq for 7 years and there's no end to it. There's no end in sight. And that's why we're having these horrific stories come out. Enough is enough. Let's get out of there.
2: You got to get out. You got to
12: get out of there. He did it once at me.
4: Let's compare Bush and Obama in a a more serious way. Mm. Uh, Bush used to always say, we're fighting them over there, so we don't have to fight them over here. And we would all go, oh, you moron. (laughs) But that's basically the policy Obama is doing. Obama may call it something different, but doubling down in Afghanistan and sending more troops in there is fighting them over there, Mm. so we don't have to fight them here. But I'd like to say memo to the administration, they're already here. Mm -hmm. They're already here. So what is the point of us being in Afghanistan?
13: Because that's not the problem. Well, I think the problem with Afghanistan and the American policy is it depends on Pakistani policy. If you can't get the Pakistanis to attack al-Qaeda in Waziristan, it doesn't matter what the Americans do. You know, if you can get them to do that, then maybe you can catch them in a pincer movement and squeeze them. But without the, that Pakistani action, which isn't happening the American action can't succeed. And
9: let's not forget about the nuclear risks in both Pakistan and their relationship with India and Kashmir. It's, it's. I just uh, did a thing at the Chamber of Commerce a couple of weeks ago with Ambassador Burns and General Hayden, and one of the things that they talked about is we're, we're focused on Iran and uranium enrichment. We've got to be equally as focused, if not more, concerned about the situation in Pakistan and nuclear weapons there. Mm-hmm. So the, I, the Afghanistan-Pakistan relationship... Is essentially interlinked, as far as I can see.
4: But if you're concerned about them being over here, the question is not okay. That's a way to criticize Afghanistan, if you like. But it also raises the question: So why are they over here? Why is the American student visa program so well, permissive? Why is it so easy to be naturalized? Um, that what that this is a failure of America's immigration and naturalization. There's already system. millions of Muslims here. The problem, this is guy, in their head. This guy came okay, over. Okay, let's talk about the psychology of this guy. This guy was. You know, he was uh, he in a shitty marriage. Uh, he had a dead end job. Well, of course, he was in he, a bad marriage. House, he got married
13: in order to get his, his green card. His house his card was underwater.
4: Mm-hmm. But, but that's not an American. I don't know what is. If you're concerned about terrorism on these shores. I don't know how you talk about terrorism on these shores without saying that, that the immigration system needs to be more mm. restrictive. Well, um, it's uh, but you cannot okay. uh, somebody cannot be excluded. It, it is not possible to exclude. It is illegal to exclude somebody from this country, even if at, for a visa, never mind citizenship. Even if you have evidence that the person has all kinds of radical views, that the law says unless there's an overt act, unless the person belongs to a prescribed but, group or has committed a crime, that the visa officer in the foreign embassy cannot exclude him from the country. Let, let's talk about this on a more psychological level because that that's all well and good but you can't you can't make laws about what's going on in someone's mind what's scary is that this guy like many terrorists we have found before was leading a sort of normal life mm-hmm. in america okay he had two kids it's not he was not poor it's there's something going on in their head religion okay uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, just, it's not that like the least you know i all I could think of was that movie that's out now, the jailer movie, The Backup Plan. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, my life is going along. I got two kids. I got a wife. I got a job. Backup plan. Kill myself in Times Square.
13: But, you know, just to say, I think there's a thing that happens to kids like this, that the more losers they are, the more their lives are bleak, that this option begins to seem glamorous. You know, Saul, right. bellow used the term event glamour, people get attracted to something. It becomes the only way that their lives can mean anything when the rest of their lives are failures. So I think that's an attraction as well as religion. But I just wanted to say, while before we tar the whole Muslim community in America with the same brush, the guy in Times Square who blew the whistle on the car, who called the cops, he was a Muslim too.
0: You can now support this podcast as easily as by shopping online. The next time you need to make a purchase of just about anything, simply visit bestofleft.com and use our Amazon.com search box to find what you're looking for. The search box is located right on the side of the website. You can't miss it. When you make your purchase, we get a little commission. It's just another effortless, completely free way for you to help keep the show going strong. Thanks for your support.
4: The U.S. airliner has been sajacked. It's The Onion Radio News. This is Doyle Redland reporting. A Delta Airline 747 was seized by popular game show personality Pat Sajak today. Sajak overpowered crew members and demanded to be flown to Chicago's O'Hare Airport or he would begin killing passengers. Flight attendant Wanda Stubbs was a witness.
10: He acted very polite, very businesslike, and he smiled in a kind of glassy-eyed daze the whole time.
4: The airline Sajaking came to an end when Sajak surrendered his weapon to authorities, signed a number of autographs, and reminded everyone to watch Wheel of Fortune. (laughs) Doyle Redland for The Onion Radio News.
11: Hello, and we're here with Republican Representative Richard Martin, friend of the show, uh, from Ohio's fighting nineteenth district. Okay, uh, you know, how do you feel about uh, Miranda? You know, a lot of people want to repeal Miranda mm-hmm. for for terrorism suspects, people who want to do harm to America, even if they're American citizens. They don't want to give them the constitutional rights uh, afforded to them by the Constitution. Now, how do you feel about that?
12: Ah. Uh They're terrorists, and they should be, they should be, if they look like terrorists. Well, what do you mean look like a terrorist? You know. (laughs) Swarthy. (laughs) Oh, swarthy? Swarthy, you know. uh, Well, wasn't Tim McVeigh a (laughs) Heavy-lidded.
11: Heavy-lidded? I don't even
12: know what that means. You know, their eyelids are hanging half open like they want to do harm. Who, you know. No. The dead eyes, the Mohammedada eyes. The Mohammedada. Yeah, those eyes didn't shine. Those eyes were heavy lidded. And so, how do
11: you how do you feel about enhancing? Technology? If he looks dangerous, if he
12: looks dangerous, let's let's beat the truth out of him. <laughs> so a lot of people, Jimmy. People say torture is bad. A little torture never hurt anyone. Of course it is. That's sometimes, what, Jimmy. Sometimes people ha- have information they just don't realize it. <laughs> no, but torture just produces false just, confessions. They it. it Let's decide what's true and false.
2: Okay. Let's right.
12: have them give us the information and then we'll triage it. Let us decide what's what's true and what isn't.
8: talk about the uh, oil spill in the Gulf. Good times. (laughs) But believe it or not, that's not the only catastrophe threatening to destroy the Earth. As we explore in tonight's edition of... Graphics people had their Wheaties this morning. Mm. The Middle East and the Korean Peninsula, two great tastes that threaten to annihilate us all together. Hey, you got religious strife in my ethnic tension. You got ethnic tension in my religious strife. All right. Which area will first bring us into a worldwide conflagration? First stop, the Korean Peninsula, where the Korean War enters its 3,117th week. Let's give you a little history. Back in the early 1950s, North and South Korea fought a war to decide who would control the Korean Peninsula, eventually signing the famous Neither Pact in 1953. It was a bloody and prolonged draw, perhaps best remembered for its hilarious hijinks. (laughs) Clinger, you'll never get a section, eight. Anyway, that was 1953, at which point both sides took a 57-year nap
7: until an explosion sank the naval vessel Chunon in march killing 46 south korean sailors near the disputed maritime border with north korea it turns
8: out north korea sank a south korean battleship now how do we know it was north korea well a month-long investigation produced irrefutable evidence including scrap metal and explosives from a north korean torpedo found in the wreckage as well as an audio recording of Kim Jong-il's voice captured right before the vessel was sunk.
4: C-5. he you sunk my
8: battleship. Irrefutable. <laughs> yes, yes, I appreciated that as well. I guess that's what you get when you set your ship's course to longitude C and latitude five. All right. So the Korean Peninsula, now teetering on the precipice of war. Middle East? Are you gonna take that? Teetering on the brink of war? That's your thing. That's your unleavened bread and butter. Well, on Monday, Israeli commandos raided a flotilla of ships in international waters that were attempting to carry 10,000 tons of aid to Palestinians in the Gaza Strip in violation of an Israeli blockade. And guess what? Nobody puts Bubby in a corner. No. 3,000 weeks of war? that. Try almost 6,000 years, pikers. (laughs) At least nine activists were killed in the Israeli assault. Israelis said the activists attacked them first with clubs. The activists said they never attacked the soldiers. They thought Israel was welcoming them with commando-shaped pinatas. (laughs) What, no candy inside? As to why Israel had elite Navy SEALs rappelling onto the deck of what looks like P. Diddy St. Bart's vacation yacht, (laughs) Israel says they had to search the boats to see if there were any materials that could be used to build explosives and supply tunnels. So what nefarious accoutrement of terror did they find?
4: 10,000 tons of aid, including medicine and school supplies. Here are some hospital beds, and here are some wheelchairs. I knew it.
8: Hamas has been working on a crutchapult. <laughs> By the way, the crutchapult, perhaps the most humane weapon to be hit with, <laughs> fires crutches. So even if it hurts you, you have, you have something to help you get away. So this story is apparently a very complex, he said, he said. I wonder how the world will react to the incident. Oh, I see, A little flag burn. Oh, that's an, oh, giving them the old muddy blanket. There you go. Oh, they hit him with the double shoe and loogie combo. The double shoe and loogie combo, high degree of difficulty, but you know the judges eat that up. Wow. Flag burnings, violent protests, or as it's known in that part of the world, Tuesday. Now, the situation in the Middle East is obviously a complex, ever-shifting dynamic filled with shades of political nuance, which is why it's so helpful in the United States we discuss it purely in black and white terms.
12: I think as a matter of law, the Israelis did have a right to board
10: the ships. What right does Israel have to do this in international waters?
4: Hamas is a terrorist organization.
0: Hamas is the democratically elected leadership of the people in Gaza.
10: We have to stop Israel from murdering innocent people.
8: Ultimately,
13: Israel has a right to defend itself.
8: Great hate! Less killing! Great hate! Less killing! You know, I don't think we can get these two sides to come to any kind of agreement. Well, except that perhaps this next statement by Charles Krauthammer may be the stupidest thing anyone's ever said about the Middle East ever.
9: What exactly is the humanitarian crisis that the flotilla was actually addressing? There is none. There's no one starving in Gaza.
4: In fact, I believe there's a sandals resort there that I hear good things about.
8: (laughs) You know, whatever you may think of the respective leaderships, the Israelis or Hamas, whatever gods you pray to or whatever direction you may pray to them in, if you can't even look at Gaza and agree that there is suffering there that needs to be alleviated no matter who's to blame for it, then your heart is so dead tourists flock there to float on their backs in it.
10: U.S. intelligence announced that they killed al-Qaeda's number three operative, who goes under the nom de guerre, Sheikh Saeed al-Mazri, in a drone strike in Pakistan. Al-Qaeda's top two positions are filled, of course, by Osama bin Laden and his second-in-command, Ayman al-Zawahiri, who have so far eluded the U.S. But the al-Qaeda hunters do have an impressive record of eliminating number three. In fact, according to the Washington Post, they've netted the third man, 10 times. Recently, Slate columnist Tim Noah recalled that he first noticed this pattern back in 2005 after the Bush administration claimed credit for four number threes. What exactly is the deal with number three?
0: How many number three guys do they have? (laughs) Is this like a corporation that has about 27
5: vice presidents? Or is this one of those jobs that they just can't seem to keep filled, like defense against the dark arts teacher at Hogwarts School or
0: the drummer for Spinal Tap?
10: And who are they? Do they have anything in common?
0: I think that the number three job is a more operational job, so you're more vulnerable. To attack, You know, it's not like Bin Laden and al-Zawahiri, they're way at the top, they think about big picture stuff. But for like the number three guy, you think it's easy recruiting suicide bombers and uh, planning terrorist operations, you're putting your neck on the line every day. So, uh, you know, number three is
10: really looks to be kind of a lousy job. Tim, thank you so much. Thank you, Brooke. Timothy Noah is a senior writer for Slate. Jarrett Brockman is an internationally recognized al-Qaeda specialist who says that the organization is not a strict hierarchy. There are several number threes, all of whom do different jobs. And though U.S. intelligence may have engaged in some rank inflation when it comes to those previous number threes, the latest, Sheikh Saeed al-Masri, was arguably the number one three.
5: He's been with Ayman al-Zawahiri, the guy who's actually running al-Qaeda, bin Laden's right-hand man since the beginning, since the 80s in Egypt. So he was a gatekeeper, he was a financier, he was best friends with the guy in charge, so he was in a very powerful and dominant bureaucratic position.
10: He also served as something of a spokesperson, right?
5: Well, that's right, he hadn't until around May of 2007. Al-Qaeda trotted him out in their official media. But more importantly, he started engaging with mainstream Arab media, he conducted media interviews with Al Jazeera, with TV. These are organizations that Al Qaeda does not typically work with anymore. You know, one of the things that I have kind of observed over the past few years is that Al Qaeda transformed from a terrorist organization that uses the media into a media organization that uses terrorism. Al Qaeda realized it was constrained operationally, but that it could get other people to do its job for it, if it could just rally them up enough.
10: And you've likened some of what they do to American Sunday morning chat shows like Meet the Press.
5: Well, exactly. If you think about the Al-Qaeda media network, it's very much like these Sunday talk shows where at first you'll have the senior policymaker come out, the headliner. In our world, it would be the vice president. In Their world, it would be Ayman al-Zawahiri. Sheikh Saeed was another one of these figures, and they would identify kind of the big policy statements. But then, after they leave, the roundtable comes on, where you have pundits and commentators trying to make it accessible to the people who are watching. And al-Qaeda has that cadre of people, too, but they tend to be much more systematic in how they try to translate what the big thinkers say down to something that resonates with the people.
10: Yeah, but that's not the job of meet the press.
5: Well, you know, it is to interpret and to dissect and to analyze and I think to hold the policymakers' feet to the fire. I'd
10: assume these al-Qaeda pundits aren't holding the al-Qaeda policymakers' feet to the fire, right?
5: In fact, some of them do. Some of them, I agree, are very sycophantic and kind of just pander. But others are very critical. In fact, one of these pundits criticized bin Laden on 9-11. And he said 9-11 would have been a success had al-Qaeda done a couple other things right. So, some of them are very critically minded, and they tend to be among the most popular. So, you know, I think Sheikh Saeed sat among the big policymakers, but he came under fire just as much as Zawahiri or Bin Laden have from the public movement and from these pundits. And I've got
2: my feet to the fire, my feet to the fire, my feet to the fire.
12: I don't love you, New York City You're too cocky, New York City New York City, we do not agree But I admit it, New York City When they hit you, New York City Something broke and tore inside of me End of summer, New York City End of something, New York City New York City, we were having fun so I get it, New York City. Yes, I get it, New York City. New York City, you
6: are number one. Now, at the G20 summit, when Barack Obama is asked about the issue, he says, Well, look, everybody's obsessing over this issue of one, we're going to leave Afghanistan. Yeah, because it's our longest war ever. We've lost over a thousand uh, men and women in that war. We've spent over a trillion dollars in both wars combined. Yeah, I'm sorry for obsessing about it. And by the way, you just fired your top general there, and all of his men in that same Rolling Stone article say that the war is a lot worse than we even realize in America. So then when they asked Obama, hey, why about the timeline here? Are we really getting out by July uh, 2011? First, he says, don't obsess. Then, second of all, he gives you a general sense. That we will, he, he's of course middle of the road as always for Obama. He says, Well, we won't be pulling out right away. That's absurd, right? And of course, absurd, absurd. Even though the war is not working at all, according to every source we've got in there. Uh, and he says, And we won't be staying there forever. Well, fantastic. <laughs> right, middle of the road. So other articles uh, are saying that they're putting the timeline at about five years. So we're there for another five years. Now Nancy Pelosi says, "Look, we got to get serious about beginning withdrawal in 2011," and I'm not playing. My guess is she is playing. If if history is any guide to what the Democrats are going to do about wars, they'll huff and they'll puff, and then at the end they'll give the executive branch whatever they want. So this is part of the huffing and puffing. Now the thing that really flipped me out. Is I know it's just rhetorical, but Obama on Afghanistan said, you know, I don't have a crystal ball. I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, I heard that before. That's literally exactly what George W. Bush said about the Iraq war. And but don't worry, Obama said, We're making progress. Man, that is haunting. That is chilling. So all right, we swapped Iraq for Afghanistan, even though except we haven't really finished Iraq yet. Sometimes I get discouraged. So now finally on this $3.9 billion, my God, man, all right, let's so let's say we pull this and there's value in that. But please, please, please don't keep bombing them and then not provide any reconstruction help. So all the bridges that we promised and the schools and the roads, if we don't deliver those, and all we do is just increase the war, and now Petraeus they're saying is You know, gonna make it tougher and gonna come to their house. Nonsense talk. Nonsense, right? What are we doing here? God damn! I mean, every I just look. You can sense my frustration, right? And the reason is, every single article I read says uh, winning. I don't know what's winning. Uh, What we make Afghanistan a little bit more stable. So now, when Obama was asked about, hey, wait a minute, isn't all of Al Qaeda? In uh, Pakistan, he's like, uh, yeah, yeah, okay. But listen, we have to make sure that we stay in Afghanistan because we don't end up coming back into Afghanistan and and providing a, st- a base f- uh, from which they could do terrorist attacks. Okay, look, look, there's some justification that there. there's some reality in that. The flip side of that is, well, under that logic, don't we have to invade every country and occupy it around Pakistan? Okay well you know they could go to other countries they could go to Kyrgyzstan and get a base there and Kyrgyzstan's in a lot of trouble there's a lot of there's revolt there's upheaval should we go to Kyrgyzstan and make sure that al-Qaeda can't ever set up a base there look I know where al-Qaeda already has bases Somalia and Yemen does that mean we should go and occupy Somalia and Yemen so they can't have bases there There's no end to this there's no end to it when uh, Leon Panetta was asked on this week over the weekend well, on the ABC program hey how many al qaeda do you think are in uh, afghanistan he said oh, 50 to 100 whoa whoa think about that now i i already knew that but his that the cia director admitting that on air it's mind blowing man i mean look at that we have a 100,000 troops in afghanistan and at most there's a 100 al qaeda in there so, we got a thousand troops for every member of Al Qaeda in Afghanistan. That's mental. Mental. Are there more than 50 Al Qaeda in other countries? You better believe it, for let alone Somalia and Yemen. I mean, at some point, there might have been more than 50 Al Qaeda members in the United States before 9 like, 11, and Germany, and Italy, and England. Do we occupy everyone? And, and the more you look into it, man. I mean, look. This is in a lot of ways obvious, and in a lot of ways nobody in America is talking about it. And we need perpetual war, man. That's what we need. We need that military-industrial complex to keep getting those contracts, and those guys pay their congressmen, their senators, and their presidents handsomely. Whether they're in office with campaign contributions or they're out of office and they get uh, and they pay their generals handsomely. So what it look, hey Vietnam, come on, we learned a lesson from Vietnam, right? Come on, oh my god, what a terrible, disastrous occupation. It didn't work, right? Vietnam, we learned a lesson. What happened? We didn't learn anything. That led to the you know, it was already part of the Cold War, but the Cold War keep, kept going on, and in the Cold War what happened? We had to keep a lot spending a lot of money on defense, right? Build more nukes, build more nukes, build more nukes. War into the Pentagon, okay, fine call. Oh, we won the Cold War. fantastic now we can t- power down right. no, it turns out we got a war on terror.' power it back up uh invade Afghanistan, as Rumso said, uh, Afghanistan is not uh target rich enough like it't not enough stuff to blow up, so let's just start a war in Iraq for no goddamn reason, and now they're both churning along. It's been you know. Over eight years in Afghanistan, wait, no, over nine years in Afghanistan, I'm being a loose track. And as soon are as we going to be saying, How many decades have we been in Afghanistan and Iraq? And when you uh, ask the president, he says, I don't have a crystal ball. Well, I do have a crystal ball. My crystal ball says, You will stay there until the defense contractors say, We've had enough, we've gorged ourselves with so much money. That, you know, we might have some public relations issues if we stay there a little longer. So, on to the next war. When does it end, man? When does it end? Where, where, all right, last thing, last thing. I I gotta repeat it 100,000 troops, 50 Al Qaeda. 100,000 troops, 50 Al Qaeda. Are you fucking kidding me?
0: thanks for listening everyone now as promised i want to play for you the second and uh, and what i think is even an even better uh promo made for the show by chris priest over at chrispriestmusic.com the last one i played in the last episode had a little bit of a rap beat to it this one you'll see is a little bit different uh displaying the fact that chris is uh very multi-talented to say the least so if you go over to chrispriestmusic.com you check out uh what he has available all his uh all his music. You'll see that uh, he covers kind of a range of, uh, of genres. So uh, there's almost certainly to be something there that uh, fits your style. So here you go, check this out.
12: In an environment in which the cops and the robbers are that much in cahoots,
2: guess how many violations he found then? Guess. Guess. Yeah, none. Okay. Let's
12: drill, baby, drill, not stall, baby, stall.
3: That woman is an idiot. Here it is, the Republicans' health care plan for America. Don't get sick.
11: If politicians don't sell out to big corporations, they're toast.
5: Whether it's God in the Bible or the founders in the Constitution, we believe they meant what they said. If you understand the progressive movement, you understand that interpretation is a Marxist tool.
8: If you
6: think that's a fair ad, okay, then you're a Republican and an asshole. Have at it, Hoss. Be in that part. Despicable, man.
12: President Barack Obama rudely barged in by accepting their invitation to join them and dropped the B word. Bipartisanship. The media.
6: Come on. How do you look at this and go, oh, 50-50. It's not 50-50. They're the bad
9: guys. pay taxpayer bailout. Yeah, that's not true. When Obama won, the reason why we worked so hard for him, we didn't want a garden variety politician. Taking a stand, not just cutting deals. That's what vision is. That's what vision is.
0: The Festival of Belust podcast the best of the truly liberal media edited, organized and mixed only at bestoftheleft.com So there you go. I absolutely love those uh, and that one in particular, I just I listen to that one every couple of days myself just cuz I uh love it so much. So uh, huge thanks again to Chris Priest and for anyone out there who's interested in having them, using them, distributing them whatever, uh, however you would like to use it. There are uh, both of them are going to be available to download at the spread the word page. There's a tab at the top of my website, best You click on spread the word and, uh, downloading our promos is one of the options there. So, um, if you like them, you, uh, you know, take them. Now I want to remind you again that it's still the beginning of July. Please, uh, head over to podcast alley and support all the progressives working to dominate the list over there—the top ten list of Podcast Alley, uh, Best of the Left, Blast the Right, and the Young Turks—are the three progressive shows that are, you know, making a go at um, at being in the top ten over there. And so, I am certainly encouraging you to support not just this show, but all three, so that uh, so that we can get ourselves right there at the top of the list this month and every month going forward. That's going to be awesome and now before i before i make one more like actually substantive point i just want to thank a couple of members eric m signed up for his monthly membership back on uh, march 21st and has stuck with the show since then thank you very much eric and frank w signed up uh for uh, for a membership for a full year in advance starting on april 21st and frank i want to mention went above and beyond uh, the standard membership level just to help out the show a little bit more so huge thanks uh to frank eric And, of course, every single member and donor who who makes this show possible. Now, the point I really want to make today is it is uh, the 4th of July. And I've always had mixed feelings about the 4th of July uh, for reasons that I will explain in a moment. But what I want to play for you is another clip, uh, kind of a bonus clip, that um, I personally found it shocking at first. And then I realized that I agreed with it. And then I thought that there would be no place that it would really fit in the show in the future. Uh, So then I realized I should just play it at the end of the show today on the 4th of July. So here it is. This is a a clip from Matt Rothschild, uh, the editor of the Progressive Magazine. He does a, a short one minute clip like this just about every day.
7: It's July 4th, my least favorite holiday. And I'm not referring to the bugs or the crowds or the traffic on the highways. I'm talking about the mindless patriotic bubble bath we're all supposed to soak in all weekend long. Well, not me. My heart doesn't beat faster at the Star-Spangled Banner, much less at the sight of F-16s flying overhead to kick off the show. You see, I don't believe in patriotism. You can call me unpatriotic if you'd like, but really... I'm anti-patriotic. I've been studying fascism lately, and there's one inescapable fact about it. Nationalism is the egg that hatches fascism, and patriotism is but the father of nationalism. It's not something to play with. It's highly toxic. When ingested, it corrodes the rational faculties, and it's a war toy. It's been so since the Spanish-American War and World War One, and right up through the Iraq War and the Afghanistan War. So celebrate the fourth if you like, but as for me, between God, country, and apple pie, I'll take the apple pie.
0: So as I said, when I first heard that, I found it shocking because I don't think I'd ever heard anyone refer to themselves as anti-patriotic before. Um, and, and so I was taking a little bit of back at first, and then it, it, I kind of quickly realized that I agree uh, and I've kind of had that stance myself. I just hadn't really put it into words in, in exactly that way. Where he and I differ is our reasonings behind it. You know, I've, I've never considered, uh, you know, fascism in my internal argument about whether or not I consider myself patriotic or not. Uh, my, my biggest thing uh, about patriotism is uh, I fundamentally don't believe in, uh, in being proud of things that you have no control over. So I don't think that it makes any more sense to be proud to be an American than it makes for a racist to be proud that, that they're white. Like, you were just born that way. You didn't do anything to earn it. It just It just is what it is. So what I consider myself is incredibly lucky to be an American. I love that I live here and I'm grateful for it but I'm not proud of it, and I, I see a really, really big distinction between those two. And so I think that patriotism comes from a sense of pride and gratefulness. I think is is what people should feel uh, when considering where they were born or how they live. Or I mean, frankly, if you're listening to this show, you know, a podcast on the internet that you probably downloaded over you know high-speed internet, chances are you've got a pretty decent life and should be grateful for it. Where you live and how you live and what government you live under uh, is probably not something you should be proud of because you probably didn't have anything to do with it, as I didn't have anything to do with where I was born. But then again, to respond to Matt's point about fascism and and how patriotism makes it easy for countries to go to war because you can kind of whip up a patriotic fervor about us versus them and we're under attack and we got to get them back and that sort of thing. I don't actually disagree with that in, in general. Um, I just don't think that the, the argument even needs to be taken to its logical extremes. And I think that is a, a logical extreme to say that if you're patriotic, then you're aiding in the march towards fascism. I mean, that's that's something that I think is a little bit more off putting as an argument than uh, than my point of view. But I think he and I are basically in sync. So I would love to hear what you guys have to say. I very rarely do this, but I, I want to actually encourage you guys. Uh, I will post a little note about this on the Facebook page if you're into Facebook. If you're not, head over to the blog and um, and leave comments in, in the show notes of the blog so that everybody can see what everybody writes. You know, you can write me an email directly as well if you like. Um, can't promise that I'll get back to everybody, but that's just how it goes. So that's going to be it for today. If you still like the show and you don't think I'm an anti-American heathen, uh, please continue to support it by telling all of your friends about the show. I would be eternally grateful to anyone who helps spread the word that way. To stay connected to the show between episodes, check us out on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, Facebook, of course, is where uh, interesting conversations take place on occasion, possibly including one about patriotism coming up very soon. For details on the show itself, including links to the sources and music used, as well as a place to leave comments about the show, check out the show notes for this episode and every episode on the blog. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you 10 times a month, entirely thanks to the members and donors who support the show from bestoftheleft.com.
2: It's not black and white. You so took apart a picture that wasn't right. Pitch burning on a shining sheet. The only maker that you wanna meet. A dying man in a living room The shadow faces the floor. We'll take you out any. Now